0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 50th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In life, we often take many of the things that we do very seriously. We take immense pride in the work that we produce. We like to come across as being intelligent and having as many correct answers as humanly possible. Whether the situation be politics, religion, or even arguing whether iPhones are better than Androids, we sometimes take issues, well, a bit too seriously. Taking ourselves seriously can also lead to a tremendous amount of hurt and feelings of embarrassment. Let's say for example, you fashion yourself a true history buff, but let's say while casually talking to a friend, you accidentally say that it was Chester Arthur who became president under the compromise of 1877 and not Rutherford Hayes. And suppose this friend you're talking to calls you out on this. Depending on how seriously you take yourself can radically alter how it is that you perceive who you are and the world around you. Joining me to help explain why it might be okay to laugh at ourselves once in a while, I am joined today by Patrick. Patrick, Should we all just carry ourselves as giant goofballs with no idea what's going on in this crazy world?
1: I think the answer is sometimes yes. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time, I would say. It's a really interesting question. People tend to get very, they fall down hard on one side of the issue or the other. I think most people think that life is a serious thing that should be taken seriously and that most issues... Should be treated with uh, respect and strength given to them. But I, I tend to think that most, if not everything, with a few exceptions that I'm, that I'm sure we'll get into, don't need to be taken seriously. And I think the world would be a better place if people would just, I don't know if let their hair down kind of says it, but just if you have the ability to understand what needs to be serious and what doesn't, I think you'd be a happier person.
0: Sure, I like that. So I think differentiating things that really matter. And I, I always think of the guy who's, you know, wa- and we've all done this before, right? You're walking down the sidewalk and you're just completely lost in your thoughts and you bang into a pole or a hydrant. And this is the ultimate moment. And people are watching you. This is the ultimate moment where you've got to laugh at yourself. You can tell a lot by a person if, if they laugh or if they start cursing and yelling and screaming like this is like the worst Possible thing to, to, that could possibly happen to them, I think that shapes who that person is and how exactly they're interacting with this
1: world. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it also it, it shapes how your life is just in general. Like I learned a long time ago, as did many people, that are like people find it really charming when somebody doesn't take themselves seriously and they can laugh at themselves. And all and oftentimes it's the only antidote to something embarrassing. We all know that. It's like if you can't laugh at something that's embarrassing you're going to give it weight it's going to become this thing there's a very not to reference uh pop culture too much there's a great episode of the office where jim and uh, michael go to this meeting and there's a koi pond that michael falls into and he's horribly embarrassed by the whole thing and jim explains to him that like if you make fun of yourself people will think it's funny and they laugh with you as opposed to at you and you know, just like a poignant little moment. That is true. It's very true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This kind of also reminds me of a conversation that I had uh, with Roger in that people who have self- Deprecating forms of humor tend to be more successful. Like they they tend they tend to take more risks and they tend to say things, they tend to speak up a lot more because they know that they could just say at the end of the day, oh, I'm just a giant goofball, or oh, man, what was I thinking? Or man, my, my mind was in the wrong place. So I think that being a clown or the gesture in in a way allows you to be the most brazen person in the room because you always have that ability to kind of just take it back or just kind of preface your statement with well I'm no expert on this
1: right yeah yeah i think if you soften the edge with that it really uh, one of the most important lessons i learned as an adult was uh, very long story short i was in a bar with my buddy and we were speaking with a girl that knew my friend and she was talking about a bad day that she went on and I, you know, we asked her why it was a bad date, and she said that she, the guy, wanted to split the check with her, and she was sort of aghast at that.
0: Oh, going Dutch?
1: So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she didn't like that idea. Because Is this in he, New
0: York? This happens a lot in New York now.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, I am like needling this girl, thinking it's being charming, and I'm saying like, well, listen, you know, that's that's life in the modern age, and like, if you want equality, this and that, and my friend keeps kicking me, like, you know, and uh, when she leaves, I was like, well, why did you keep kicking me? And he's like, dude, that girl. Hate you now because you made her feel wrong hmm. and if you would just there, there's a way to conversation. there's like a conversational judo that applies to everything in life where if you can tell somebody like you know that's an interesting thought I don't I happen not to agree but I, see, I hear what you're saying I think it's in line with what you're saying it's this charm that some people have where you can say whatever you want and you can hear what other people have to say and it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to grind against each other and I, I think I learned that like when you couch what you're saying, because I'm generally just an idiot. And like, I know that, and and that's okay. Like most people are, but I think I can come across as somewhat charming because I'll just say like, listen, I'm a moron. Here's what I think I may be wrong. I'm not quite sure, take it as you will. <laughs> and then people, it's it's amazing what that will do. People will become much more open to what you're saying. And in a way it's a little manipulative because you're, you're basically trying to like finesse people into your way. But I mean, that's, that's what a conversation is. And it's, sure, you might convince somebody of your viewpoint, but they, they like you for it. They're more open to it. And I think, you know, you can see, uh, God, well, what's going on in our world today is just basically people hammering away at each other. And nobody wants, nobody wants to give an inch. Nobody wants to hear. And it's like, it's all a question of finesse. It's as simple as that. Just a little mm. charm goes such a long way.
0: I actually want to talk to you about what you just said about like the way you preface statements, like I'm a moron. And I sort of kind of feel like um, there's another side to that, right? Like you have all of these like buffer words, like kind of sort of maybe Mm -hmm. who am I to say? And on one hand, this allows you to come off as more friendlier, more approachable. And like that Information is going to be digested more easily than if you're like you're wrong, ma'am. You know this is uh, the 21st century. Men and women are equal. It's totally cool to right. a it right. Like right. like right like that's going to completely turn her off and and just be like it'll get away from me. Whereas your kind of sort of maybe like you know language, but on on the other hand, one might argue, well, sir, you know if you believe something to be true, you need to speak with conviction. So right. I think I think that we we also have this idea that we, we when we're looking at leaders, we tend to look at leaders that do take themselves really seriously and sure. do speak with absolute conviction, even if they're not a hundred percent correct all the time.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we want our leaders and our parents to be to speak with conviction because we want them to be sure of what they're saying. We don't want people to talk to us like that though, like person on a personal level, because mm. I think what makes somebody, it's not about being liked or not, but I think what makes somebody more receivable is if you're willing to put up front that you could be wrong and that that you're willing to change your viewpoint. So if, if I say like, well, listen, I really don't think the Loch Ness Monster exists because of X, Y, and Z, but I honestly could be wrong. And if it shows up that would make my day because I want it to exist. I just don't think it does. And I think what you're doing is you're giving someone a door to walk through who doesn't agree with you. Hmm. And I think, you know, so and I, what you're saying is true. Some people will be like, "Well, that's that's too wishy-washy. You should be able to speak with conviction." And I guess it comes down to like, what is what are you looking for? W- what do you ultimately want? Do you want to be right? Do you want an exchange of ideas, or do you want to be happy? I know it sounds like a, a sort of like simple choice, but I, I used to date this girl and we would fight all the time and I learned that she wanted to be right so bad that she was willing to sacrifice being happy. Sure. And I was like oh that's that's a really poor swap in my in my opinion like so I'm going to just be happy as opposed to being right uh, and I'm wrong all <laughs> the time and that's fine like I, I don't need to be it's like I, I, I want people to think I'm smart but if they don't that's okay.
0: You know, you know, Patrick. I think with my own girlfriend, I need to be more of a sort of what of kind of guy. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, you give people a lane. You give them a lane to come down. Whereas yeah. if you're like, you know, if you're arguing about something that's binary, take something heavy like abortion. It's wrong or it's right. It's like, well, you're just never going to have a good conversation, you right? Know, because that's just not the world we live in, and the human mind isn't really programmed that way. If you want to have an actual discussion, and I will, li- I'll listen to somebody who's able to admit I could be wrong. Even if I totally disagree with them on a topic, I will listen to them because they're not so concerned with being right. They'd rather have a have a exchange of information.
0: I, I wow, I, I think you actually just summarized the premise of this show pretty darn nicely. Great. Um <laughs> so I, I want to talk though a little bit about stakes here. Okay. Okay. So I think that in a bar or in a casual setting, it's totally more okay to be wishy-washy or like, man, I'm, I'm just throwing this idea out there. Who am I right. to say? Right. However, imagine your boss is like, who am I to say? I kind of promised you a bonus, but I sort of don't know what's, you know, like then we, you know, we have that same level of behavior, but in certain situations when there's higher stakes, that sort of like not taking yourself seriously, like a boss should take themselves seriously because right. they are yeah. in direct control of your paycheck and your well being. So, yes. if at any given point that they are wishy washy or like kind of sort of, you begin to scratch your chin and question this person.
1: Yeah. I think the distinction there is that you could argue you have a contract involved with a law or something like that. Whereas if we up the stakes and let's say we talk to, uh, we're talking about a politician because people like to say like, well, these these decisions matter, they affect people. To which I would say perhaps, but I think mostly people speak in like ultimate terms, especially with politics, because yeah, that's do. just that's just all we hear about. That's all we talk about, obviously. So people will be like, well, if this happens, then everyone's going to X or Y. And I just have yet to see that big thing happened. Now that's not to say that politicians don't affect the world. They certainly do. I mean, obviously they, you know, they write the laws and things like that, but I think that people want to assign this, just uh, this real heavy burden or these, this really like the, these heavy stakes to things, to things that they feel very strongly about. And I just have yet to see something come to pass that was like, you know, in this country, certainly in other countries, yeah. um, it's, it's happened, but that, have been these, this catastrophic thing. I mean, you could argue about what's happening now politically and with the pandemic, but I still think you're dealing with big, big things and you're seeing like, you know, nuances and sort of shades of various things, but we have yet to see this like civilization-ending event happen because somebody made one decision.
0: Yes, I think I think that's a I I think that's really important to mention that even when the stakes are incredibly high chances are that topic is not a doomsday scenario right. and that's like and it, not everything is like a cuban missile crisis like like caliber situation it's, yeah, it's where it's like example. if we get this wrong like the, the the free world will be blown to smithereens and and i think i think that that's really important to keep in mind that there is I think I think the nuance and subtlety does allow us to kind of slip up a little bit more or allows mm-hmm. us to admit that we're wrong because if we admit that we're wrong and we don't take ourselves as seriously because these issues are not doomsday scenarios that's okay.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. But even with the doomsday scenario, you know, because there are exceptions to everything but not many in this particular case, I believe. You know, so if you're talking about like two-year-old finds his parents gun and's walking around that's an extremely dangerous and serious situation
0: right yeah uh, but
1: o- but only because you're dealing because the child is not really aware of the, of the gravity of the situation it's just the you know you, you put together two things that are uh, potentially fatal and you could you i think you can extend that to any cuban missile crisis you are dealing with two two personalities uh, you know like two heads of state sort of like one upping each other in this game of chicken and you know that ultimately comes down to the ego and posturing because of like a cold war that was happening and I mean you know like I think people like to couch things in terms of like serious things but ultimately it comes down to personalities and you know you you do have national mentalities like the in that case the Russian is very different than the American particularly in 1963 62 but at the same time you you are still dealing with personalities and i think that although that's a that's like an extreme version of this it's still the same thing as like you know two guys squaring off in a bar hmm. because you're just dealing with two individual egos that are that are kind of like butting up against each other.
0: You know, this is kind of, you're actually saying, you're making, you're saying something that's actually really making me think now, because I'm wondering now in my head, like, what if Kennedy had just gone on the phone and said, hey, buddy, it looks (laughs) like we got an issue here in Cuba. You're building up nuclear arms. Totally not cool. Why don't me and you just hang out in Hawaii or something? You know, like, I'm just thinking about like, what if these ultra serious figures, right? And we think of World War One, we think of World War Two, sure. like, could you just have gotten a beer with Hitler and just smoothed it over and just been like ultra cool? I, I don't know. I, I guess I guess like you can be ultra cool and ultra like non serious. But if you're dealing with somebody like a Stalin or a Hitler that, you know, is not going to ever just be laid back, like, I think that I think you need both of these personality types to be super chillax for for that uh, model to work. And if you're dealing with one person that's relaxed and one person that's ultra serious, I I tend to believe that the ultra serious person is going to win. That's just That's my guess.
1: I think also you're talking about like mania, you know, and also like fanaticism, which is like, what do they say? A fanatic is somebody who can't change his mind and won't change the subject or yeah. the other way around <laughs> And so that, that's a particular case for sure. I mean you could you could argue that's sort of a um, psychological issue or maybe a delusion. But to your point though, I think you're correct. I think it would have been very difficult for Kennedy to, to you know I, I think that would have been seen as a weakness and then they would have pressed the advantage and it possibly could have spiraled out of control even more than it, than it did. But in those cases, I think you're dealing with unique issues with humans you know, like a Hitler is the ultimate example, of course, because he, you know, the, the cauldron that cooked him up was very long and complicated, but what you had at the end was just really just a terrible mixture of of factors that came together. And so he's not a, he's not like human on the level that you and I am. It's like, he's, he's got, uh, you know, you could argue that he was mentally Disturbed. I don't mean that like there was something wrong with him, but he had this mania for a couple particular issues, and I think that's fortunately very rare. Yeah, um, but you might be right. I mean, I think those are the exception and not the rule.
0: Well, actually, let's let's bring this since both of us uh, were teachers. I think I think we can kind of use an example here. So many. Issues that arrive in the classroom with students can be diffused through humor. I know this, you know this, and something awkward happens and we make a funny joke. And like nine out of 10 times, humor can really help in those situations. But there's always... You know these one or two kids, and I'm not calling them Hitler, although we might talk about them (laughs) as being that in the teachers' lounge. But like we have like these one or two students where there can be no humor, and there can be that there there that you have because that student presents such a problem that they don't afford, they're not affording you the ability to diffuse the situation with humor. In fact, that kid is going to see your humor as weakness. There are, there are students like this that will be like, oh, uh, you know, Mr. Patrick likes to tell jokes. I'm going to keep, you know, making jokes and keep pushing his buttons until he snaps, you know? And like, you know, again, that kid is not the next tyrant or something, but I think that, in our daily life, we do encounter these, you know, impenetrable, like these rocks that can't be moved. And that necessitates us to put on our ultra serious face and kind of deal with them in the manner that they're asking for.
1: Yeah, that's certainly happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. I have a couple kids of mine that were just like real tough cases. Like, you know, they were obviously the result of a lot of factors. You know, the parents, number one, care about whatever issue. And I think that Uh, I happen to be a pretty easygoing teacher and I learned quick. I don't know how it was for you, but I learned quick that kids just do not respect somebody who tries to be tough. Do you know what I mean? Even (laughs) if, even if you are a tough person, there's, you never show that by being tough.
0: Ah, see, I actually, I had the reverse teacher experience where, you know, I started teaching when I was like 22, 23 and I thought I could be Mr. Funny. I actually thought that I could just coast on like, yeah, I'm that funny. I'm just that cool. And I'm like, I was similar in age to these kids, you know, like they were like 16, 17. I'm like, I'm going to talk about family guy and just hit them on all these cool references. And I actually had the reverse experience where I came in too soft and then as as I needed to like really toughen up. Uh, So it's interesting to actually speak to a teacher that came in from the opposite approach.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I had gotten, well, as you know, you can get easier, but it's very difficult to get harder. Yes. Because they've seen you've played your hand and they're just kind of like, if you try to get tough, they're like, come on. You know, they don't <laughs> they don't take you seriously. But I had a couple of teachers tell me, um, don't smile until Christmas. Yes. And yep. I was kind of like I was like, wow, that seems so extreme. But I see the value in it now because it's as you it's like that. You know what I just said? I think you can taper off as it goes on. And I mean, it's not my nature to be strict or tough. And I, I find I've found in life that people just don't take me seriously when I try to be tough. So I learned quickly that like, there is a way to be like, I just, I just learned to set strict boundaries. And if they've went outside of it, they paid the the consequences. And I didn't do it in a mean way because I, I, the more like, it's sort of like when a teacher loses control and they're desperately trying to, and the kids just eat them alive, you know? (laughs) And it's because like, they see that you've lost control and once it's, it's over. And so I learned that like being like a tough guy doesn't really work. Right. At least not for me, you know, and I, I don't have the stature for it. I don't look, I look like, you know, I'm like a retired boy band member. <laughs> so like, I, I have a tough time like intimidating people, which is totally fine because, right. I, you know, that's just not my, that's not my way. So. Yeah.
0: I, I think with me, it's like, I kind of naturally, I'm a very soft, fun loving guy, but by, by, by default and by extension, I think that I. Have a certain na- at least when I first started teaching, I had a certain naiveness of like, you know, oh yeah, oh well, you could hand in that paper on blah blah blah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. like I was very loosey goosey because I wasn't taking myself serious enough. I felt I felt that, that like my sort of laid back kind of approach or my like what I call like loose fingers on the wheel kind of approach to teaching or or to certain kids in, in general actually cost me dearly and these were moments where the 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 very boisterous loud like muscular looking teacher definitely had some legs up on me because they 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 kind of went in really hard And then as you said, after Christmas or after December or January, then they could crack a joke or two, but then they, they already had, they could commandeer the respect to kind of rein it back in pretty darn quickly. So I think that that's like actually a perfect example of you need to really take this seriously, but then make adjustments and accommodations as, as time goes on. Yeah,
1: that's definitely true. And I think that, uh, bringing it into our topic, I think, it was less for me about being serious. And what I learned is that if I set, a, if I lay out a set of standards and rules and I would say, I would make them like, I take these very seriously, but I don't, you know, like nothing else needs to be super serious. And like, mm. you know, I taught chemistry. And so most of them hated it. They didn't want to be there. And I totally get it, you know, and I think I would make it known. I'm like, this is a hoop that most of you have to jump through. I mean, you're gonna, it's good to have this knowledge anyway, but. Uh, You are going to be graded on it and it's going to affect your GPA. So like you need to take this seriously in as much as if you want, if you want to do well, you just have to do this. It's, you know, I don't you don't have to enjoy it. I'll try to help it make it as enjoyable and understandable as possible. But I expect X, Y, and Z. And so I think the seriousness came through like I sort of put it on them. I'm like, you don't have to take this seriously if you don't want. Mm. But then you're going to deal with the consequences. I had a kid one time, I was in this, I was at the school for the summer. He came up, and he was a really, really, really nice kid, but he was kind of like giving me attitude. He's like, "Well, I'm in summer school because of chemistry," and I was like, "Yeah, that's too bad. You failed." You know, yeah, and that's where like, you belong. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, I try to make it as easy as possible. Like, I really, yeah. really, because I'm like, you don't want to spend your summer in summer school. And you know, he ended up being like, "Yeah, you're right." You know, yeah. I should sort of just tried harder. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. I am sorry that your summer is you bad. know.
0: You're actually reminding me of something because I think that kids also don't respect, especially I think this happens a lot in math, like the teacher that only wants to talk about math and like right. they have yeah. no, like the, the kids can sniff when you have no life outside yeah. of your content yeah. and they they sniff that and they smell that. Yes. and in some twisted way, if you take yourself too seriously, like, oh, this is chemistry is of premium importance and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, uh, Lord Kelvin discovered blah, 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 like if you take yourself too seriously when talking about chemistry, and they don't see that like Mr. Patrick has a girlfriend, or he went on some cool vacation during uh, the winter break or whatever, then they don't see you as human. I think I think if right. you're too serious, they see, oh, this is an android. This, this is an android that's in, before me right now. And therefore I don't need to show a robot any respect. That's for sure. And that's kind of an example of where some like being failure, you know, being vulnerable or being failure, you know, just having some, some human qualities to you actually is an asset.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And if you, you know, like to step outside of the classroom in the realm, I always use politics. Cause that that's like the ultimate for some people, even though in my opinion that is where the least serious people can be found in the world I mean, these are, you know like these are all just these are like emotionally stunted people kind of end up in politics not everyone but generally but and yet people think that it's the most serious of topics because it sort of you know literally governs the way we live etc but i mean you ha- if you look at your great statesmen in history or your great politicians they were all wisecracking very very clever quick with a joke or a quip, you know, like your Churchill's, Yeah. Yeah. Your, your Disraelis, these people who are like so sharp and yet they did amazing things, but at the same time, they, they knew how to live and like, you know, you know, you'd want to hang out with this person. Like, you know, like he's not a politician, but Alan Watts is a favorite of mine. And it's always amazing to me that he died of alcoholism.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Because he was just so, you know, he, he had this philosophy that was incredible and he just really saw life in all of its angles the way not many other people did. And yet he did something, what most of us would consider weak was that he couldn't control his drinking and he died basically of of the complications of alcoholism. But then as I got older, I'm like, you know, that makes him interesting because he had, he chose to have a flaw, you know, like he got that this whole thing was a game and he just played it to the full. But I think you can have these people who, do very serious things but even those people at the top they were like you know fundamentally not serious people i think they they have a an outlook on life where they they understood that it's short it's fleeting they did their job well but at the same time you know they they were just very learned people and they could see you know if you look at if you read i'm sure you've read it um the meditations by marcus aurelius yes of course it's amazing you know he was one of the greatest leaders the world ever saw and yet he had you know he never partied he didn't take advantage of his re- he ate a very simple life like he didn't live life to the max because he realized it was all you know it was just a fleeting thing it wasn't
0: it, it's fu- it's funny that you mentioned churchill because i would argue that the stakes were far 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 higher in, sure. in his time oh yeah and when you mentioned churchill i also instantly thought of kurt vonnegan and slaughterhouse five five yeah. because what ends up happening is that you know these soldiers are taken in Dresden right and they're they're put on they're you know they're put in jail under the nazis and the british soldiers all tell each other all right lads you know keep up the jokes keep keep happy and and they and they make all these jokes and they just like they they do shakespearean plays and they just try and be as happy as possible And the Nazis actually end up treating them a lot better. And the reason for that is that if they would have taken themselves too seriously and like, oh, man, you know, we might die in here. I don't have enough food to eat. Then the Nazis would have treated them like others, like, like oh, you're, you're you're cattle that we're gonna slaughter at some point. But the fact that they were able to be funny and crack jokes, the Nazis were like, hey, you know, these Brits aren't so bad. They're 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 just like us and they're and they're laughing and they play cards and checkers or whatever it is. And I think that that's actually a way to survive really, really, really gloomy things. Even even sure. many concentration camp survivors will say, my sense of humor kept me alive or it kept me going. Especially, you know, it's funny. I think that humor is far more powerful in dark situations than it is in lighthearted situations.
1: I agree. And I mean, if you think humor is, it's such a, um, I mean, imagine the strength of character it would require to remain humorous and lighthearted in like a, a concentration camp or, you know, in some equally dark situation. And I think that it's a testament to you wouldn't say that a jew in a concentration camp who was making jokes for his family to keep them wasn't a serious person
0: right yeah i think
1: that you know and they were doing it for a specific reason like they understood that the stakes were absolutely maximum but at the same time it proves what we're saying where even in the situations like that is that if you remain serious um the, it's like you said like even the opposite was true you know the nazis might look at a grim bunch of people is just cattle. And it would, it's sort of like, and it is it, speaking of Dresden, it's like the Dresden problem where they say that, you know, the guys who were in the planes dropping bombs slept like babies at night because there was a detachment between what they were doing and the results of their action. Whereas if you had to be on the ground, you know, shooting people point blank, it's a different story altogether. That's a bit of a digression, but
0: Sliding yeah. on is
1: one of my favorites. I love that book. Yeah, so
0: it's really a great book. The other thing that I'm thinking about here is like if you're in a situation like a concentration camp, I think there's also a critical distinction to make of like, do I have choices in this situation or do I not have choices in this situation? So for example, if you have choices in life, I would actually argue that you should be more serious. Like, let's just say there's like a way to escape or there's a way to, to you know, to to beat down the guards or something. So anytime you have choices, you need to take those choices really, really seriously. Like even even something like buying a house, like you really want to make sure that you've looked through that house carefully and they've got good plumbing or whatever it is. So anytime you have choice, you need to be very serious. I think humor and kind of being more of a clown is really nice when you know you don't have any more options. Because I think I think once you get yeah. to the point where it's like, there's nothing at all that I can do in this situation, the only thing I can do is just laugh at the absurdity of it all.
1: Right. Well, you could make the argument, you could make this argument at any time that, you know, ultimately, you know, we're all going to the same place. And I think if you have, if you have the sort of like mental wherewithal to be able to grasp what death actually means, which none of us really do. I mean, I certainly don't. I wrestle with it, but it's like, if you can get your mind around what it actually means to die and what that means for you, depending on what you believe, then nothing really is serious. So being in a concentration camp is as serious as like choosing what cereal to have for breakfast because ultimately your time comes when it does, et cetera. Most people do not think this way, obviously. i point to what you're saying in terms of um, making a serious decision i think you could you could put that on anything you know you can make any any decision serious because of its eventual repercussions but i think that ultimately even though it seems frivolous and we're getting into like a, a weird moral area Nothing really matters.
0: I, I might actually push back a bit here. And, and and then the reason I, I do is this. For example, l- let's just say you have two job opportunities before you. Now, if you go with the cavalier, like, whatever, I'll just work at this insurance company. I'm not really, you know, life is all meaningless or I'm going to die anyway at the end. Why not just have a few laughs along the way? I would argue that you might be denying yourself the opportunity to find true meaning and purpose. Because okay. if you are, if you were looking for a job or you're looking for one of these, again, these really critical things where you do have agency and you do have choice, if you treat it all as a joke, then you might get to the end of your life and be like, oh wow, um, I, I didn't really achieve all that much. Or "I, I maybe I had a, a few too many laughs along the way And, and sometimes you have no choice, like in the Dresden situation, you have no choice, but to make good of a bad situation. Right. But I think when we're thinking about things that we do have agency over, we owe it to ourselves to take those things seriously and choose wisely because we want to have impact in this world. And by impact, I don't just mean being filthy rich. I also mean like, how can my talents best serve people? you know so i think that that's, that that is an obligation that we have and we, we we can't just fall into the trap of just being like it's all a joke i'm just going to choose whatever job lands lands my way
1: right i think that's that's an interesting point i think it makes a couple of assumptions that are not up for debate but it really depends on the person like number 1 is there any meaning or purpose in life and then number two, did you have any choice in any of the choices you made anyway? And I know that's not what we're talking about in this discussion. And that's a whole different conversation. But I would say as far as the meaning and um, purpose subject comes up, I, I don't know. I, I, have trouble, I have trouble sort of like deciding. I, I don't think there's any meaning to life in as much as um, that would sort of like in my mind, that would that would imply some sort of predestination or some goal to be got, and I think it's simpler than that. I think the meaning of life is just to sort of like um, seek out things that make you content and try to find happiness. And as far as purpose goes, I you know it really depends on your view. Of if you think that we have an obligation morally to serve other people, or if we don't, and and if you have a talent, do you owe it to other people to do something with it or not? So I think with those two stipulations, just assuming that we do have purpose and meaning and assuming that we, you know, we do make our choices, I would say even then it's, I don't know if it's serious in in the way that I think of what serious means. I think that some some choices are serious in as much as they will have an effect on your life. But I guess the question is, what is that effect going to be? Mm -hmm. so I think it kind of depends on your definition of what serious means versus not like so if you choose to work in the insurance company you have a long boring career you're on your deathbed you look back and you think like damn like I should not have chosen that I had a life that was filled with nothing really I didn't do anything exciting but then you die five minutes later and it's over anyway well there is is
0: there is like retirement so like like That's people yes. like people die at 65 and then you're like oh crap i got 20 years now to reflect about this. you know like like a lot of actually you know they they find actually that people who are very likely to die after they just retire. So it's actually a very like 65 to 70 is actually a very dangerous age to be. Not necessarily for any like health complications, but just like if you don't quickly move on to the next thing in your life, you're actually at a risk for dying just just by virtue of having no meaning in that in that little uh, vacuum, uh, of time and space. So I, I would say that like, it, it's not a question of just like, oh man, I, I didn't do anything. But I had some laughs and then you die. You might be stuck on this earth for another 20, 25 years yes. reflecting on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think despite what I said before, I think that humans need a sense of purpose because without that, it's, that's like the trade-off for getting, I, th- I think like when we received consciousness, whenever that was, you know, in our prefrontal cortex or whatever, The trade-off to that was that we need to have a sense of purpose. And I don't mean in the cosmic sense, like, oh, it's my destiny to do, invent a vaccine for whatever. I just mean that like people will never find happiness if they don't have a sense of purpose in their life. And I, you know, there's a lot of unhappy people out there. And I would say that for most of them, it's because they are doing a job that they don't care about. They don't have any hobbies that they care about. There's no purpose to their life. And it could be something as, as simple as like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like do origami at night and it makes me really happy because it gives me a sense of like accomplishment and something that like my mind can get around and I can like set goals. And I think that's basically what it comes down to. The stat about the people retiring is very interesting because I think, I think we've all experienced in this pandemic, this weird sort of limbo where a lot of us aren't working and there's nothing to do in, in a, you know, in a very strange way, even though there, there's many things to do, but you just, you know, I myself have gotten into these funks and I realize it's because like, I'm not being productive. I'm not like, I don't have a sense of utility in the world or to myself, you know, so I, I think that's an interesting thing to, to, to note.
0: And I think I think. Look, let's say you have you know insurance guy, right? And he's a lifer. And let's just say he's like you know we're at a stage in our lives, Patrick, where we don't have kids or we don't have that like uh, responsibility chaining us down. But let's say you've got insurance dude who does have those things, right? And he can't just quit his insurance job and you know backpack throughout Europe for a year and find himself, right? (laughs) Like so he's kind of stuck there because he's you know stuck to that job stuck to that desk or whatever he owes it to himself to bring as much humor as much jokes and as much like laxadaisical look at you know like let's have some fun here as much as possible because those circumstances are not changing i would also argue and i like the example that you just uh, used about you got into origami is that that man even though he might have uh, a non negotiable in his life like he cannot change that insurance job he is he is locked to it he still owes it to himself to find meaning and purpose however he can in his free time. And that meaning and purpose need not be selfish. You know, It could also just be like, I'm gonna help my kids do really, really, really well in school so that they can do awesome stuff. You know, or, or during the pandemic, I'm chained at home, I'm chained to a job I hate, let's go ahead and have as much fun as possible. But I still have to get kind of serious with finding meaning and purpose in the other facets of my life that I do control.
1: Sure, I think that's a that's an interesting probably loophole to my argument. Where I think I think people owe it to themselves to find meaning, if they want to be happy. And I think, but I, here's the, here's the caveat to this: I think most people don't understand why they're not happy. Yes. And yes. so they chase. You know, we all have this sort of like happiness deficit or this meaning deficit in us. And I think most people, like ninety nine percent of people who've ever lived, have tried to fill that with various worldly things, money. Uh, sex, drugs, etc., etc. No
0: doubt. And I think,
1: no doubt. I think I—I don't know why this is. I think it's hardwired into humans, and you know, as society has progressed and as a, sort of like the ability to become wealthy has never been easier. Even though I'm not wealthy, I'm not very good at it. <laughs>
0: What's wrong you with know? us, Patrick? What's yeah, wrong with yeah. us?
1: <laughs> well, we taught high school. The one thing. That's- <laughs> so I think that the the real answer I have discovered for myself and um, I think is true is just finding a sense of meaning. And, it, and, and I think everyone has this idea that it has to be this big important thing. Like you have to mm. build a bridge or you have to write a, you know an opera or you have to like do these things. And the reality is that's not true. It's just like, you have to find Something that gives you meaning. And then, really, that it's, I mean, people would laugh at me and be like, happiness isn't that easy. And I'm like, well, it kind of is. I mean, it's not easy to find something that gives you meaning. Um, And sometimes it takes work. It's like your insurance guy has to, you know, he's locked into this job. And I'm sure things seem pretty hopeless, you know. And I think that you have to work to find something that gives you meaning and then have the courage to go after it, you know, because oftentimes it's like you you either have to pursue something as a career, not necessarily. But it's just like, you know, I'm sure that insurance guy comes home at five o'clock and he's exhausted and he doesn't wanna, you know, he doesn't wanna like think about what he wants to pursue. He just wants to have dinner, have a couple beers, and watch some TV and veg out. And I think that's how the vast majority of the population spends their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, except I don't think that's an optimal way to live. And I think that you're missing out on a lot of joy and happiness.
0: I think you've made a a really critical distinction here, Patrick, because I think that we have what we call like grandiose seriousness, like Mm -hmm. I must change the world seriousness and that that seriousness is highly dangerous because I mean for some if you're like in your early 20s and you maybe could live that grandiose, okay fine, but I think that that grandiose seriousness can be dangerous for a lot of people who have finite circumstances that they can't really change
1: right. and
0: if they get caught up in the like, well, I'm never going to be, you know, the next president, I'm never going to be a blah 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 because I have all these other responsibilities, that grandiose seriousness could could kill them. However, like you were just saying, if they developed seriousness in something that's not all that serious, then they can still find meaning like that, that insurance guy, if he comes home and says, I'm really going to do, you know, watercolor paintings or something like that. Now that hobby in itself is not a serious life-changing thing, right? I mean, right. unless you're like, uh, what's his name? Bob Ross, your, your watercolor oh, paintings, love, love aren't Bob gonna, love yeah, they're going to yeah they're not going to change the world, but I think it's okay for that guy to apply some level of seriousness. And like, even sure. though this is just a hobby, I am going to take it seriously because it's like an expression of who I am. And it is giving my life meaning and purpose.
1: That's, that's a really, that's a good distinction. And I think, um, you know, using an example from my own life, I, I left teaching to become an actor and a writer. I left nice. to become an actor and I, I sort of like fell into writing and I really fell in love with it. And every actor wants to uh, be famous, do TV, do film, because it, it, it's just so shiny and attractive and you can make a ton of money and like you live this very glamorous lifestyle. And it's been an interesting experience in as much as most of the actors, I, you know, I have a ton of actor friends, most of them are miserable. Because especially in an industry like that where you're only as good as your last project and everything is always like, oh, I just want to get this role. Or if, if only I could do X or Y. And they're all they're all very unhappy. Uh, also because you have to get validation from an external source. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, you know, that that's a very like plain example of that. And I got into it, you know, dreaming of being on film, things like that, thinking that that would make me happy. Uh, and so I started studying at a theater studio and the stage being on stage, like made me very, very, very happy. It's something I never even thought about. I had no attraction to it, but then suddenly I was like, wow. And then I got some TV stuff. And anytime I've ever shot a movie or been on TV, I've kind of hated it because it's just not what I thought it was going to be. Which is like a, a life lesson for everybody. It's like, it's never what you think it's going to be. It's always, you have this ideal vision of if I had X, Y, and Z, whether it be material or um, intangible things, I would be happy. And it usually doesn't work out that way. So it's funny, like if you were talking to a guy in a bar and you're like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm, I work in insurance. Your immediate reaction is like, that's so boring. And then he's like, yeah, but I'm really passionate about watercolor. And uh, I've been painting for a long time. And like, you know, I sell some paintings, but I don't really care about that. I just, I really enjoy the process. It makes me feel. And the thing is, most people would be jealous of that guy because he has something that other people want. That's and interesting. It's, it's, certainly not his insurance job. It's this sense of like purpose in the world that brings him contentment. And it's so, it's so silly. We live in a society where, uh, you know, it's in our face every day, just these like hugely successful people. And they package that as happiness, of course, because it always has been thus. But the reality is that people really just want to be happy and happiness can be glamorous, I suppose, but usually it's not. It's usually like small things. And, you know, people might make fun of the things that I do because there's, you know, they're silly. I write plays, I take pictures, I do this and that, but it makes me very happy. And I've had a lot of my friends and family members in the last few years say like, God, you know, you just, you seem really happy. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of am because I'm just doing these things that I get joy from and I have no money and I'm not successful, but I don't, I mean, I care in as much as I'd like to do more of those things and not have to worry about making the bills and whatever, but it's a small price to pay. And I think people want that feeling of happiness. Yeah. And, and although you can't sell it to somebody by being, by saying like, hey, if you have a hobby that you want, like needlepoint knitting or something like that, you could be happy. People will be like, oh, it's so boring. That's not glamorous. It's not fun. But then they look at somebody who does that and they're happy. And they really do want that thing they want that feeling of just contentedness and they want that feeling of satisfaction with life because they just don't get it anywhere else
0: wow wow, that was awesome patrick and and now like so i have this vision in my head just based on what you told me imagine we have an actor right and let's say that this actor is like moderately successful they got like a sitcom or something like that and they walk into a bar and they meet insurance dude who does his water, you know, color paintings at, at night or whatever. In some way, the actor who is like lukewarm about being on a TV show, who's like, yeah, I'm able to support myself doing acting. I got like a sitcom or whatever, but because they have like a lukewarm relationship with that. They might actually, in that instance be envious of insurance guy who has a million things wrong with his life. he's locked into a job that he hates, but because he he's taking serious something very silly such as like watercolor painting, that that might actually create envy from the actor who takes their acting so seriously and, and because because they've because they've put too much seriousness and stock into something that they thought would be meaningful, they end up being miserable
1: yes. That's, that's, and that often happens, you know, and it's like, I think the reality versus expectation is always very funny for people because you would assume somebody who, you know, like, and I use acting because it's like, if you're a pro athlete, you've put years of prep into that and you work really hard to achieve that. Whereas actors work hard, but like anybody can become an actor. And it, I think it takes, I'm only saying this because I'm an actor and like, I've, I've seen the real thing. Good actors are, are unique for sure, but anybody can learn to act. Some people might disagree with me with that, but I think that- Be careful, um,
0: you're in New York. They're all going to come knocking down your door and be like, what are you saying, Patrick? You're know, saying we're not special?
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like you you work really hard because you think it is going to be this very glamorous lifestyle and that you're, all your problems will just evaporate. And it's just like one party after the next. And it's just constant adulation, um, which is not true. And even if it were, it just, I mean, it sounds so trite. You know, to be like, those things don't bring you happiness, but they truly don't. And I'm not saying that because I want it to be true. I'm saying it just because it is true. It's like, you know, as much as all of us think that if we won the lottery, we would do it right. We'd be mm. like, if I won the lottery, I'd be so happy. Even though I think like some incredible number of lottery winners, like 95% report being more unhappy after yeah. they win. And no matter what the amount, like let's say you win $100 billion, which you'd never have to work again, obviously. They're more unhappy because it's just not what it's cracked up to be. And I think we all think, I know I do. I'll be like, well, I would do it right. If I want hundred million bucks, I would do it <laughs> and I'd be happy. But the truth is I probably would not because I've been, we've all been sold this, this idea of like what glamor and money and, you know, like what happiness should be. And the reality is it's a very unglamorous thing. Like being happy just means finding the thing. And that could be having children. Like some people have children and they're very, that makes them happy. I mean, to me, that would be a total nightmare, but that's just me. Let
0: me, I want to ask you a specific question about acting uh, in general. So imagine you've got two actors and one of them is ultra method acting. Like I'm going Mm -hmm. to live like this guy. And that actor just focuses on, I want to win an Oscar. I'm going to be in Scorsese films. I'm going to be the real deal. And then you have like casual, like, yeah, man, I landed this part and I, I, you know, I'm just going with the punches here, you know, I have to play. Which actor do you think is actually going to make the better actor? Because like we have this, I think we have this like this this idea that the ultra serious guy who like, you know, lives in a prison for five months to like become yeah, the right. become become the, the the character he's trying to portray, that's the real dude. And the yeah. guy who's like, oh, whatever, this is just paying the bills right now. Like yeah. I, I don't even know at this point. Like who who ends up being more successful?
1: That's a good question. I think there's some we love it when somebody does something like that because it's so insane. Yeah. To think that like Daniel Day Lewis became a, a uh, what do you call it a cobbler? He he started making shoes to get ready for his role in Gangs of New York. And we love that stuff because it's like so you just like wow. And I think it's because there's a level of devotion there. I think we all think that we would want to do that and be like yeah, I'd love to lose eighty pounds for a role. But I think for a guy like say um, Christian Bale who, yeah, who is right. known for doing these really extreme things, right? I really don't think he cares. I mean, I don't know this person and like, I don't have any more insight than you do just cause I'm an actor. I do not think he really cares about winning an Oscar or not. I think hmm. in my experience, uh, I've been an actor for almost 10 years now and it's been a very interesting um, world to be in. There are two types of actors. And of course in each category, there's many, many multi or like subcategories. You have the people who want to be successful And then you have the people that want to be good actors and the two you'll get success in both groups, but there's just something about somebody who wants to be a good actor that you can see it on screen. So I would argue that the person who is willing to do these really unpleasant things with the true intent of like, I want to give the best performance possible. And like the question of an award doesn't come into it would certainly I mean, like, you know, everyone's different in what they appreciate, but you can sort of, it's sort of like what I've learned is on stage, especially because if you've ever seen a play, there's something about being in the theater where you're getting this direct experience with these people and you can quickly suss out if somebody is giving you phony performance.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's just because you're there and like we're human beings are so good at detecting um, micro behavior. Like we have to be, if you think about it, like if somebody came into the tribe who is acting just a little bit off? Everybody would immediately pick up on that because, like, your life may be on the line. And I think because of that, especially with something like acting, because you know you're pretending. If you're watching someone on stage, you just can pick up when they're not, when they're, when they're just, you know, like they don't believe what they're saying. And there, there's there are gradations in that, of course. But like, I think those people who go all the way because they really the performance matters most to them, they're they're going to do this incredible job. And I mean, yeah, there's there's some like fame hungry people who have been very successful, but maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a trade off in their personal life. Like uh, my first acting teacher ever went to Juilliard with Kevin Spacey. Wow. He said that he was like this ultra ambitious actor. And he was like, I am gonna win an Oscar and I'm going all the way. And like, he was just like a real jerk uh, because he was just so singularly focused. And Kevin Spacey is a wonderful actor, but in his personal life, you know, it was a disaster as we now know. And so maybe there's a trade-off. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. But I think that uh, it gets back to our question of like a sense of purpose, a sense of intent.
0: I think that you know it's funny because I see many parallels between teaching and acting. Oh yeah. And I obviously don't have that much experience with acting, but I think the super like like imagine it's day one of being a teacher or day one of being an actor. The ones that are like I'm going to be the best teacher or the best actor. When they're they're not really living in the moment, right? So they're, they're yeah. not actually living in the moment because the actor is focusing on the Oscar, and the teacher is focusing on well, us teachers don't have much to look forward to, but <laughs> <A> <laughs> it, vacation, it's just, yeah. like, like you know, like like whatever, becoming the best teacher or whatever it is that that they can be or being a principal or or, or something to that effect. And I think that because they are taking the job too seriously, they're not paying attention to the moment because there might be like a lot of great acting happens uh, through improv, right? Like, 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 oh yeah, you know, you know, did you know that Robert De Niro read that line off cuff or just made that up or something? Like there's so many great things in film that happen by actors just making stuff up. But if you're so focused on winning the Oscar, You're going to miss all of those moments like you are just going to miss all of it because you're just going to be like, I need to read this. I have to have like the best tears when this happens. I need to read this line with absolute conviction. And you're so focused on being ultra serious and being the ultra best thing at it that you miss those improvisational moments that that allow magic to happen
1: yeah, it's a, it's a really like not to like talk about acting too long because it's like it's it's nothing special. But
0: I think you guys are all magical, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
1: you very much. I appreciate it. It's really, I think it's you
0: know, like, it's... I've looked up the I've looked up the income of actors. I'm like five thousand dollars a year or something like that. I'm like, yeah you it guys... can be.
1: It's just like you know, like <laughs> what you see obviously on TV and film is is the very, 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 very top, you know, which is fine. Like you know what you're getting into in this industry.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, but
1: again, yeah. if you get into it, for that reason, like everyone wants to, everyone wants to be on a sitcom because it's, it's like steady work. You get paid an obscene amount of money. You get fame, you get recognized in the street. But I think that ultimately I I just personally don't think it would be fulfilling. Now if somebody offered me a role, of of course I would take it because like, why wouldn't I? But I, I enjoy, I had to come around to that where I was just kind of like accepting the fact that I probably won't be successful, which is totally fine. But then like, I've had these opportunities where, you know, I've written plays that have gone up and they've done really well and they've affected people and like and you know not to you know it's it's like not celebrating such a small thing but i really felt that that's the best i've ever felt in my life not just my career but like i've i did something that like affected 100 people at the very same time and they were all in this story that came out of my brain and to me that was like an incredible source of like wow i could do this forever
0: and I think I think when you were writing those screenplays, maybe because you didn't have like this ultra high stakes in your head, like this screenplay must be made into like a 20th right. Century Fox, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like if you had had that ultra serious expectations, you may not have either gotten through that screenplay or two, once you got like a few rejections or something, you would have just been like, well, I'm not, I'm not the next Scorsese. I'm not this next big thing. And now you've denied yourself any pleasure in the moment, but by being like, all right, whatever, it's being done at a community theater or, oh, it's being done off Broadway or whatever it is because you're able to amend yourself and adjust to different expectations and not take your screenplay as the Holy Bible that allows you to experience happiness and excel in arenas that you otherwise did not think possible.
1: Yeah, and I think it applies largely to what we're talking about in terms of taking things seriously in that I started writing and I found that like I really enjoyed it. Like it yeah. was something that I once I started doing it I was like, "Oh my god, like I've been missing out this entire time." And I wrote these plays and they're they're fairly risky in as much as like they're very dark and I just decided I was like I'm not going to listen to what anybody has to say in terms of advice or what I should or shouldn't do. Um and I'm just going to do these plays cuz I believe in them and like they were risky for me. And even if they were terrible and received poorly, I it was weird. I had this real sense of like, yeah, but I that was mine and like I did that. And so even if people were like that was a terrible play, I'd be like, mm. yeah, I know, but it was my play. And like I had you for an hour and a half. Like you were listening <laughs> to something that I wanted to say. And I just thought that was extremely powerful and it gave me this sense of like, just real contentment that I had never gotten before. You know, I I did a TV show last year and I was on set and it's like an NBC show. And I was like, looking around like, wow, there's, oh my God, there's that star right there. And I'm like talking with the co-star. At the end of the day, I was like, yeah, this is so boring. (laughs) And you know, I got paid an obscene amount of money for one day's work. And I was just like, once they, you know, they were like, cut, that's it. I was like, thank God, I want to get the hell out of here. You know, instead of being like, wow, this is just like another day at the, at the be. mill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I just thought like, it was a good lesson because I was like, oh, yeah, it's just not what you think it's going to be. And I think there's something to be said for that guy doing the watercolors. You know, at the end of his life, he'll have a stack of watercolors that people are like, those are pretty good. Whereas somebody might be have like six Oscar winning movies and a performance but they, this guy might still be happier. He might mm, still yeah, yeah. you know, go to his grave and be like, that was pretty good. That was a pretty good life. And I mean, it's hard to think in those terms, especially uh, when you're relatively young or whatever, because you're like, oh, I have time to do this and that. But I mean, it, it, there, we are going to get to a point where we're sitting on our deathbed and it's going to be like, shit, because then it's too late, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's just something to be said for contentment and finding purpose.
0: I like that. And I like that. And you know what, Patrick, I think I think you're right. You should stick to your guns and not take yourself too seriously because if some dude had whispered in your ear, "Patrick, listen to me, my friend. You got to yeah. change act 3. If you change act 3, then you'll be taken seriously. That'll be a much happier ending or whatever it is." Right. Then then you may you may have lost out on finding happiness by taking yourself too seriously, by by wanting success. Patrick, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: It's been wonderful, man. It's been really great. This concludes the fiftieth
0: episode of the Truth Island Podcast, I'm Aaron Azrod.